Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, everyone. It is Thursday, March 12, 2020. This is Locked On ACC. Hi, I'm Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. I am from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest. FBSchedules.com, NCAAHoopsDigest.com if you want to check us out. But for right now, you've got me on Locked On ACC. You can also check us out on Twitter. We are at LockedOnACC. Email us, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter specifically. I am at Sports Matters if you're interested. Let's get into the program. Yesterday, not the uh, most glamorous of days at the ACC tournament for a number of reasons. We have the situation with fans and their last time getting to enjoy the ACC tournament. We won't dwell too much on that because, quite frankly... I don't want this to be a doom and gloom podcast, so we won't focus on that. What we will focus on was what we saw on the floor. One okay game, three not-so-okay games. Let's go ahead and break those down. We'll start with Clemson-Miami, the noon game. Clemson wins 69-64 over the Hurricanes. And this Clemson game doesn't really make a whole lot of sense if you just look at numbers because a couple of numbers immediately jump out to me. And I'll get to those in just a minute. But we'll start on the winning side. Clemson paced by Alamir Dawes. He had 18 points, 4 of 7 from the deck, 2 of 4 from 3, 8 of 8 from the line. He also grabbed two boards, dished out two dimes. Amir Sims, 14 for the Tigers, 5 of 8. From the floor, one of two from three, three of four from the line. He also had 10 boards, another double-double ho-hum for Amir Sims. And John Newman, the third, 11 points, five out of nine from the field for John Newman. Interesting to consider that those three guys scored 43 of Clemson's 69 points. Speaking of numbers that jump out, just 16 bench points for the Tigers yesterday. Didn't really matter, but just numbers to, uh, to note. Miami, conversely, Chris Likes paces them 21 points, 7 of 16 from the field, 5 of 11 from 3. You also had DJ Vasilovich, 17 points, 6 of 11 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, 2 of 2 from the line. He grabbed 5 boards. Cameron Mcgusty, 12 points, 5 of 15 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3. Clemson held Isaiah Wong pretty well in check. 8 points. Three of nine from the field for the Miami freshman. One of four from three. Just one of one from the line. I mentioned some numbers that jumped out at me. I'll get to those in just a second. But very briefly, Miami shoots 38% from the field. 24-63. 31% from three. 11 of 36. They got to the line just seven times. Speaking of numbers that jumped out at me, Miami attempts just seven free throws. Total rebounds, 34-32 to the Canes. 12-4 offensive rebounds to Miami, 13-4 second chance points. A lot of that can be attributed to the fact that Miami just had more missed shots. We'll get to that in a minute, but that just jumps out. Something else that jumps out on the other side, 24-14 points in the paint for Clemson. 14-5 in transition for Clemson. Clemson had 11 dimes on 22 makes. Miami, six assists on 24 made shots. Clemson shot 22 of 47 on the day, 47%, 32% from three, seven of 22 
Clemson got to the line considerably more than did Miami, and they hit 18 of 19, 95% from the line for Clemson. So not the most glamorous of performances for the Tigers, but enough to get it done and move them on to the next round. Nice day for the uh, the Tigers in that regard. 1.131 points per possession, if you want to start looking at tempo stuff for Clemson, scoring on just over 49% of their trips. They made 61 treks down the floor. 30 of them resulted in scores. Miami, conversely, 1.016 points per possession, 61 trips, 27 scores. So Clemson advances. We'll talk more about their next date coming up in just a bit. On to game two. We talked about this Pittsburgh-NC State matchup, and we mentioned what would have to happen, at least in the right way, for Pittsburgh to advance. We saw that Pitt had kind of run out of gas and then had the great performance in their first game. Not so much in game two. NC State beats Pittsburgh 73-58, just two double-digit scorers for the Panthers. Johnson 15, McGowan's 12. Johnson 5 of 9, McGowan's 5 of 14. The rest of the team made just 11 shots. Justin Champagne, after his 31-point day, held completely in check by NC State. He had just 9 points, 4 of 13 from the field. A rough day for him, a rough day for the Panthers. Also, Adis Tony, we talked about holding him in check. Whether or not he'd be able to be effective after the foot injury, Four points for Adis Tony. Played 31 minutes. Two of five from the field for Adis Tony for Pitt. The Panthers shoot just 35% from the field. 21 of 60. Four of 18 from three. 22 plus percent. 12 of 15 from the line. 80% for Pittsburgh. NC State, four double-digit scorers for them. We talked about their balanced scoring attack. Devin Daniels, 23 points. Nine of 14 from the field. One of two from three, four of five from the line. He also snared six boards. A double-double right behind him for C.J. Bryce. 13 points, six of 16, one of four from three. He had 10 boards. D.J. Funderburk and Braxton Beverly with 10 points apiece for the Wolfpack. NC State shot 48%. They were 29 of 61 from the field, four of 16 from three for 25%. Not great from the line, 11 of 16, 69%. But talk about numbers that jump out at you. There are several in this game. The big one that stands out, 14 turnovers for Pittsburgh turn into 24 NC State points. You talk about turnovers for touchdowns. 14 turnovers become 24 points. State had 11 turnovers. They became 11 Pittsburgh points. Total rebounds, Straight up, 38 all. Not a big advantage in offensive rebounds, but an advantage nonetheless for Pittsburgh, 13-10. That led to a 14-9 second chance points advantage. 42-30 in the paint for State. 17-12 in transition. 11 steals to Pittsburgh, 7. They also assisted on 18 of 28 baskets, did NC State. Pittsburgh assisted on just 6 of 21. Notice a theme in these two early games? You should. Pittsburgh scores just 0.853 points per possession. 68 trips, 27 scores. 
They scored just shy of 40% of the time and turned it over over 20% of the time. Suboptimal, as I frequently say. NC State, conversely, 1.090 points per possession in 67 trips. They scored 35 times, or 52.2% of the time, turned it over 16.4. So NC State advances. We'll talk about their date coming up in just a bit. We have two more games to go over from yesterday, and we'll do that right after we take the first break of the program. We'll come back, recap the last two games of yesterday, get you set up for today, we think, and much, much more. This is Locked on ACC, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Locked on ACC. Thursday, March 12, 2020. I'm Brian. Glad you're with me. On to segment two. We'll break down the two night games from last night around the ACC tournament and two duds, quite frankly. Let's just call it as it is. I was reading on Twitter people saying that BC was awful. That was overheard in the, uh, <laughs> in the Greensboro Coliseum last night. Without opining, it's tough to really argue one way or the other when you start looking at some of these numbers. And by the way, something that was brought up to me yesterday, it's a good point. I'm not going to out who said it, but it's a good point. We've been talking about Pat Kelsey from Winthrop at Wake. And there was a a pretty interesting interview yesterday with our buddy Connor O'Neill from the Winston-Salem Journal on 730 in Charlotte. Are we maybe burying the lead a bit here? Is there maybe a better ACC fit for Pat Kelsey? Maybe BC? I don't know anything there. But if you start thinking about it, if you know Pat Kelsey, if you know his history, if you know his inner monologue, as it were, that might work. I hadn't even thought about it, but it might work. Moving on. BC had three scorers account for 47 of its 58 points. Not good. Mitchell, 20. Heath, 15. Hamilton, 12 for the Eagles. Derek Thornton, nothing. Zero of nine from the field. Zero of four from three for Derek Thornton. Also accumulated four fouls. BC, 20 of 59 from the field. 34%. 6 of 20 from 3, 30%. They were 12 of 15 from the line. Some more numbers that jump out. We'll get to them shortly. Notre Dame, five scorers in double figures. They accounted for 67 of Notre Dame's 80 points. TJ Gibbs, 16. Dane Goodwin, 15. Prentice Hub, 14. And Durham and Leshesky round out the Double-digit scorers with 12 and 10 apiece. John Mooney, we talked about limiting him. They kind of did. I mean, it's arguable whether or not they completely stunted his impact. He had 11 boards. However, he was 4 of 11 from the field. He had 8 points. And he did commit 4 fouls, played 28 minutes. So they kind of limited John Mooney's impact. Didn't really matter because five other guys picked up the slack for the Irish. Even Rex Fluger didn't have that great of a game. Five points, two of four. Notre Dame, 29 of 65 from the field, 45%. They were 10 of 25 from three for 40%. 
including Prentice Hub, four for nine from distance, 12 of 15 from the line, identical to BC's output for Notre Dame. 14 BC turnovers led to 14 Notre Dame points, 11 points off of eight Notre Dame turnovers for BC, 44-36 rebounding advantage for the Irish, 8-7 on the offensive boards. At one point early in the game yesterday, BC had missed 15 shots, and of those 15 misses, they had one offensive rebound. I was talking about Kelsey at that point, largely because I know one of Pat Kelsey's primary objectives, one of his main focus points for his teams, is offensive rebounding. And I said at the time, jokingly, of course, if a Pat Kelsey coach team had 15 misses and had one offensive rebound, his head would explode. He is such a big believer in offensive rebounds, and it is astounding to me that you would have a team that would miss 15 shots and grab one of them. It ended up being a little bit better. They rebounded seven misses. Of course, they missed 39 shots, but anyway, small victories. Bench points 22-14 to the Irish, 28-26 in the paint for Notre Dame. Not a whole lot in transition, as you might imagine. 9-4 in steals for the Irish. And 19 assists on 28 makes for Notre Dame. 7 assists on 20 makes for BC. BC never led in the game. That probably shouldn't surprise you all that much. You look at Notre Dame's tempo stuff. 1.143 points per possession. They took 70 trips, scored 35 of them. Even I can do that math. That's 50%. They turned it over 11.4% of the time. And then there's BC. 0.795 points per possession. They went up and down the floor 73 times, scored 26 of them. Scored 35.6% of the time, turned it over just over 19. So BC ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. And Notre Dame advances. Again, we'll break down their matchup in just a second. Tell you who they're playing. And then the game last night that probably confused most of us. I had said on this here program just yesterday that I thought North Carolina Syracuse would be the best game you'd see all day. Wrong. Way wrong. Wow. Syracuse 81-53 over the Tar Heels. Carolina finishes one of its last eight from the field and (laughs) two double-digit scorers for Carolina. One of them you probably could have anticipated. The other one, not likely. Garrison Brooks, 18 points for North Carolina, 7 of 14 from the field, 4 of 5 from the line. He grabbed four rebounds, played 37 minutes. Leaky Black, the other double-digit scorer, 14. He was 5 of 10 from the field, 3 of 3 from the line. Also grabbed four rebounds. Then you start looking around the rest of the team. Cole Anthony, five points, two of ten from the field, one of six from three. He did get four rebounds, but we talked about efficiency and about assist-to-turnover ratio and all these things that Roy's been talking to him about. Three dimes, six miscues. Not good. We know that the zone flummoxes people, but Cole Anthony got back to doing some of the things that Roy didn't want to see from Cole Anthony. Brandon Robinson, four points, one of four from the field. 
He collected four fouls, played 23 minutes. Armando Baycott, eight points, three of seven from the field, seven boards. He played 25 minutes. Just a, a rough night for Carolina. And we've said throughout the last week, I've been talking about various other conference tournaments that I've been covering. And I've, I've said at, at that time, everybody has a night where they throw a tire. This was Carolina's night to throw a tire. And wow, did they. When your leading rebounder only has seven, not ideal. Carolina last night, 20 of 60 from the field, 33%. Two of 16 from three, that's 13%. 11 of 13 from the line, 85%. 18 turnovers. Those turnovers led to 27 Syracuse points. They got 42 rebounds. Had the four-rebound advantage there. Also had a four-rebound advantage offensively, 14-10. Led to a four-point advantage in second-chance points, 12-8. Four points off the Carolina bench. That's it. 34 up points in the paint, 15-2 Syracuse in transition. Yikes. 11 Syracuse steals, none for Carolina. Zero. Syracuse, meanwhile, in a game it led wire-to-wire, Carolina never led. 47% for the Orange, 28 of 60, 7 of 21 from 3, 33%. 18 of 28 from the line, 64%. That's really not so good. Doesn't really matter in this game, but that might be something on which to keep an eye later. Eight Syracuse turnovers led to four Carolina points. That's it. Syracuse did an outstanding job keeping control of the basketball. They made shots, four double-digit scorers, Hughes with 27. I talked about how tough it was to contain him. Nine of 20, that's okay. He had to work, but four of 10 from three, five of five from the line. He also grabbed seven boards. Buddy Bayheim, 17 points, seven of 12 from the line, four of eight from the field, two of four from distance. And then Dolajai and Sidibe also had big games. Dolajai, 13 points. Sidibe, double-double, 12 points, 13 boards for the Orange. Syracuse, tempo-wise, 1.181. 1.191 points per possession. Get this. 68 trips scored 38 times. 55.9% of the time it scored turned the ball over just 11.8%. North Carolina, meanwhile... In one of the most incredible lines you'll see from them tempo-wise, I don't know if I've seen a Carolina team put up a tempo line like this in a long time. 0.746 points per possession for the Tar Heels. 71 trips, 26 scores. That's scoring 35.2% of the time and turning it over 26.4. So Carolina, again, makes an unceremonious exit. And now you've been brought up to date on everything that happened yesterday. We'll tell you about today's matchups, assuming they happen. Hopefully they will. We'll also give you yesterday's baseball scores. We'll do that when we come back from the final break of the program. Again, send us your thoughts at LockedOnACC on Twitter, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. This is Locked on ACC. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of Locked on ACC for March 12th, 2020. I'm Brian. Glad you're here. 
we're going to go ahead and prepare for today's games as though they're going to happen. Because we've not been told anything differently as of the time we're recording this. And quite frankly, everybody probably needs to think more about games today. Even if fans can't see them in person. There's a pretty simple solution to this, folks. Just grab your beverage of choice. Grab some snacks. Hit the couch. Just enjoy some basketball. It'll be odd, sure. There will be memes made about it. There will be jokes made about it, and that's fine. But we still have basketball for now. Your games today, 12-30 for number 8 Clemson, number 1 Florida State. Your predictors and line, the line that's out right now, Florida State minus 7. That seems a little low, but again, don't take any betting advice from me. That said, the two predictors, one of them has Florida State 70, Clemson 63, 73-27 win percentage for FSU. The other kind of agrees with me. 74-58 Florida State, the other predictor, these courtesy of Nolan Analytics, 82-18 win probability for the Seminoles. I would think we'll see something more along the lines of the second one than the first, but who knows. This has been a wacky tournament all the way around. We thought yesterday we'd have good games. We didn't. We thought that the games Tuesday would have potentially more uh, likely outcomes, I guess. And the teams that won were probably likely, but maybe not the way the outcome shook out. 234, number five, NC State, number four, Duke. Again, all these games on ESPN or ESPN2. Check your local listings. The line for this game, the last line that we have for anything today, Duke minus eight as of this moment. The two predictors, the first one, 82-72, Duke. 80-20 win probability for the Blue Devils. The other one, 83-71, Duke. A 73-27 win probability for the Blue Devils. I would probably be more along the lines of either of those than the closer game people are predicting. But again, the one thing we know in this tournament is that we know nothing. 7 o'clock tonight, number 7 Notre Dame, number 2 Virginia. The two predictors are wildly different here. The first one says Virginia 57-56, a 54-46 win probability for the Hoos. The other says 62-50 Virginia, 75-25. I'm tending to think that the first one is probably more likely. And granted, we're coming off of a night where Notre Dame handled a pretty bad BC team. One would have to expect... We won't see five double-digit scorers again for Notre Dame tonight. One would also expect that you would not see another eight-point performance from John Mooney. These two teams, they played one of the more incredible games we've seen this year. Not necessarily because of how well it was played, because of all the crazy, wacky stuff that went on. This is lining up to be another one of those weird games. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Another of these games where it comes down to a last-second shot or some kind of strange late heroics. I think Virginia wins, but I think we're also in line for another one of these late finishes where we all just kind of sit there scratching our heads afterwards. And then 9.30-ish, 
for number six, Syracuse, number three, Louisville. The first predictor, 74-68 cards. No, for those of you who are listening and know the inside joke, there are very few of you, but I won't break out the cow card. Long story. Ask me sometime when we don't have a 30-minute show. 70-30 for Louisville. The other predictor, 77-65 Louisville. 75-25 to the cards. If this holds up, then Friday in Greensboro, assuming we have Friday in Greensboro, would match Florida State-Duke and Virginia-Louisville. I'll take both those games. Again, as of right now, from all we know, we will have basketball. We won't have fans in the building, but this is a very fluid situation. Stay tuned here. Stay tuned to your favorite local news outlet. And definitely stay tuned to your favorite local sports writers on Twitter because you're probably going to get better stuff from them than you will from a lot of the news outlets, at least on the national level. As we wind down, let's take you around ACC baseball and softball from yesterday and looking ahead to today, shall we? Yesterday, we had talked about Virginia and how badly it beat UMass Lowell the day prior. A little bit of a tougher time yesterday for Virginia. They win 4-3, do the who's. Number two, Louisville beat Chicago State 13-3. Virginia Tech knocks off George Mason 5-3. North Carolina 9, VMI 2. Notre Dame wins at Radford 9-8. Number 24, Clemson takes out Winthrop in 11 innings 3-2. Number 11, NC State over North Carolina A&T 8-7. Coastal Carolina beats Wake 10-4. Number 15, Florida State over Illinois State 7-4. And number 7, Miami 3 UCF 2, there are your scores around the diamond yesterday. Mentioned we would get you ready for today. There are no games today. You're ready for today. On to softball yesterday in the ACC. See, I'm tricky like that. Softball action, Charlotte 11, Pittsburgh 2. Number 19, Virginia Tech beats George Mason 12-1 in five innings. Duke knocks off Elon 5-1. Lipscomb beats North Carolina 12-2-5. The Tar Heels started the season ranked and have since fallen on some really hard times, yesterday getting run-ruled by the Bisons. Number 8, Florida knocks off number 10, Florida State 5-2. And Georgia Tech beats Mercer 11-1 in six innings. There are your softball scores from yesterday. Just one game on the docket today around the ACC. Notre Dame plays Cal Poly at 8 o'clock. That in the Cal Poly tournament in San Luis Obispo. That your only softball action for the day. And that brings us to a close for Locked on ACC. Just very briefly before we close out the program, I will caution you, all of these situations that we're experiencing right now are very fluid. Please, as I said before, stay tuned to your local beat writer, your local sportscaster, whatever it may be. Support your local people. They they really know what's going on. They are more in tune with these things. They are much less likely to try to sell you on hype and fear and everything else. They are much more likely to tell you the actual story of what's going on. And I say this because I am a local writer and I support my fellow local journalists. Please support your local journalists. Even if you don't agree with them all the time, even if you think they're jerks, even if they blocked you on Twitter or whatever else, please, from me to you, support your local journalists. Thank you. Rant done. Show done. 
This has been Locked on ACC, March 12, 2020. If you like this program, tell your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Locked on NFL Draft. Speaking of supporting things, support the Locked on Podcast Network. We'll see you back here for a Friday edition of Locked on ACC tomorrow. Be safe. Love you. Mean it. <laughs>